Welcome to The Long Run. This is a podcast for biotech adventurers. I'm your host, Luke Timmerman. Today's guest is Steve Graham. Chances are you don't know his name, but Graham is a major behind-the-scenes player in biotech. Graham is the co-chair of the life sciences practice at the law firm Fenwick & West and managing partner of the firm's Seattle office. He has been working with biotech boards, handling corporate law, securities offerings, and mergers and acquisitions all the way back to the industry's founding days in the early 1980s. Immunex, the company that created one of the world's best-selling drugs, Enbrel, was the client that compelled him to specialize. Six years ago, Graham was appointed co-chair of the Securities and Exchange Commission's Advisory Committee on Small and Emerging Companies. He continues to hold that position. He's been on a bunch of best lawyers lists. In 2015, he was named one of the 19 most influential people in DC who can affect your small business by the Washington Post. Graham also happens to be black. Last spring, he wrote a revealing memoir chronicling his rise to the top of corporate law. It's called Invisible Inc, Navigating Racism in Corporate America. Now, I've known Graham for 15 years, going all the way back to when I profiled him for the Seattle Times. Looking back, I'm still proud of that article. But I realize, after reading his book, that I only knew the barest outlines of the challenges that he really faced. How did he make it? What advice does he have for younger people of color? And how can all of us create a more inclusive biotech industry? This is a hard conversation to have. And I realize this issue goes way beyond biotech to every part of our society. But it's an important conversation, and we need to have it. Real quick, before diving into this conversation, I want to thank the sponsors of The Long Run. Biotech Showcase, co-organized by EBD Group, is coming up January 8 to 10 in San Francisco. Listeners of this podcast can get a $200 discount when registering. Just type in Long Run, all one word, as the registration code when you get your ticket for Biotech Showcase. Now I want to thank the newest sponsor of the show, Presage Biosciences. This company has a system that enables intratumoral microdosing of experimental cancer drugs. It lets researchers evaluate several drugs at once against a single tumor and get a handle on specific pathological response. A number of well-known innovative pharma companies have tested it out and the device is being used in a clinical trial right now. To learn more, go to presagebio.com. Lastly, I want to flick at the next episode of The Long Run with Daniel Levine and Dan Mayer. They are the co-authors of A Rare Breed, How People and Perseverance Built Biomarin into one of the world's most innovative companies. I reviewed this book in October on Timmerman Report. I believe it provides a revealing perspective on the rare disease drug development business, especially some of the subtler, underappreciated aspects of what makes companies succeed or fail. It's well-written and unvarnished. Don't miss that episode. Now, join me and Steve Graham for the long run. So today, I want to talk about race. Racism in America, particularly corporate America, and how it affects the biotech industry. With me today is Steve Graham. Just to get started, Steve, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your career arc? I guess the arc begins in a small town in, in East Texas. 
I ended up in, uh, in the state of Iowa because that's where my parents were from and uh, eventually landed at Yale thanks to um, uh, a very dear college advisor that I had. Uh, once there, it was just uh, it was a matter of trying to figure out where I wanted to live and uh, ended up in Seattle. Uh, the, you know, I started out in, uh, in the largest law firm in Seattle as um, everybody else starts out as a first-year associate, and I really didn't know what to do uh, from the standpoint of, um, uh, of uh, kind of strategizing with respect to uh, my career. And it was, uh, it was always a choice of, of um, kind of broadly speaking, business or litigation. Uh, I always thought that I had the temperament to be a corporate counselor. Um, people that knew me said, you have presence, you can think on your feet, why don't you be a litigator? Uh, lit litigation is kind of kill or be killed, which uh, and kind of kind of destructive, if you will, as opposed to sitting around a table with people and, and uh, trying to be collaborative and come up with a win-win. So I eventually gravitated toward uh, the business side of things, and uh, then I was lucky enough to to have been in in the formation of uh, Immunex Corporation, and as uh, as you know. Immunex was one of the first uh, biotechnology companies ever. I mean, when I started practicing life sciences, biotech, uh, those are things that did not exist. But that got me on my way to doing corporate and securities work for life sciences companies. Uh, eventually, I made partner in my first uh, law firm in 2000. I left that law firm and opened up the Seattle office for a large uh, Bay Area firm. Uh, eight years later, I repeated that process, and so now here I am. Yeah, so you got started in biotech really at the beginning, the early 80s, um, with, with Immunex. Right. Um, you graduated Yale Law School mid-70s? 76. Okay, so there were a few years there when you were doing, um, you know, kind of the, the, the typical associate-type corporate work. Right. Right, with a variety of clients. Um, and I think those are some of the stories that you recollect here in, in your memoir. Uh, they... they um, uh, some of them do appear there, yes. Well, I think, um, first of all, this is just a really powerful and important book um, for people to read. I, I think uh, I recommend it to people in biotech. One of the things that I was really struck by um, was um, your your choice of forward. So I, I, this was by Jim Sinegal. And he's the uh, the former CEO, now retired CEO of Costco Wholesale, very successful business executive, um, and a famously down to earth um, kind of candid guy, roll up his sleeves kind of guy, sort of like the guy you'd picture as like your your you know kind hearted uncle, right? Um, and he, uh, you asked him to read um, your manuscript before you published, and I want to uh, read briefly from part of his his reaction in the foreword, because I don't really want to give away too much of what you say in your book. I want to hear this from you. But um, here's Jim Sinegal, and he says, after about five or six chapters, my initial reaction was, wow, this guy is really sensitive and a bit of a whiner. Get a grip. But as I moved further into the narrative, my attitude changed completely. It was now, holy shit, how does a person put up with this? And his, classic, his is a classic example of death by a thousand cuts. How do people not just give up? How do they control their hurt and anger? And now I was asking the question, not just why me a second time, 
like he asked why you wanted him to read this. Why is he an expert? But he asked it a, a second time from a different viewpoint. And he says that it became clear to me that I am personally part of a problem that is not one of that is one of the most, if not the most, complicated and concealed in our society. No, I really do not believe that I'm a racist, but why are so many transgressions going on? Why so many subtle and inadvertent slights? So, Steve, um, you, you chronicle in this book a number of slights. Uh, you call them microaggressions. Um, some of them are more than micro as you go on in the book. But um, a lot of these things I think you could file under the header of subtle cases of racism, at least in the terms that we used to think of racism, you know, like Martin Luther King marching from Selma to Montgomery or Jackie Robinson putting up with what he did. I mean, we don't see those kinds of manifestations of racism in our everyday world. And, and I think part of what's great about your book is that you, um, you shine a light on some of these subtler things that, that go on. In, in your world, um, in, in corporate boardrooms. So what, um, what did you hope to um, convey here with this book? Uh, I hope to convey, uh, to convey just that. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's funny, uh, like um, I think any, any successful African-American in this country, you, 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 you learn to screen certain things out. It's just, it's just part of the air. Uh, you kind of get over it and you move on. Uh, uh, you have to do that. Uh, you'd, uh, you'd go crazy otherwise. And so, uh, you know, and I, I managed to meet with success. Uh, I think by any measure, uh, by any, regardless of race, uh, I'm, I am a successful lawyer. Now, but before you go, let's, let's talk just about some of these slights, mm -hmm. the, the things especially that occurred earlier in your career mm -hmm. when you were junior. Uh, you, mean, you mean from the standpoint of, um, of uh, you know, the, the, the nature of the slights or why they matter or? Well, um, just, mean, just describe what happened for, for people who don't necessarily walk in these shoes and don't understand that these things exist. Uh, well, I think you have to understand the context first, uh, first and foremost. Uh, you know, it's, um, it, it's, it's, it's hard. Uh, I think it's hard for anyone to talk about race. It's hard for me to talk about race. Uh, it's hard for me to write about race uh, because um, uh, you don't want to offend. You know, like it or not, even though, you know, uh, I think, you know, people can um, be well served by being told in a candid way. You still don't like to like to offend. And you also don't want to appear ungrateful. All those different things. But the fact of the matter is, is that if you're African-American in this country every day, 24-7, you're swimming in a sewer. Uh, you 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 go to bed and you're an African-American. You get up and you're an African-American. And all that means in this country, all it has meant you know, for, uh, for the last 300 years and it's, uh, in its uh, various iterations. And so that's the context. And so, you know, you know, uh, you know part, of that, um, uh, part of that context is, just, is, is always having to, in effect, look over your shoulder. Uh, always having to make sure that, that you don't um, make the white person sitting across the table from you uncomfortable. 
always um, kind of understanding and appreciating that uh, uh, your your work is going to be discounted before you open your mouth. A discount is applied to whatever it is you're about to offer, and and you have to understand that that's your world. That's the world that we live in. Uh, so you can you can uh, say okay, um, I don't want to deal with this, and you can kind of you can you can check out. All right, you can take a deep breath and go through each day and do the best you can, and eventually um, you know overcome um, overcome a lot. But these things they they bothered you. They they, 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 they bothered, did. Oh sure, they they bothered me a lot. They they would um, uh, they would they would bother anyone, and so. Now, now, let's just give our listeners a couple of examples here. Mm-hmm. I can think of when you were a young lawyer and, and somebody would assume that you were the filing clerk right. when you were an associate. Right. Um, there were instances when um, you were working late into the night, very hard on behalf of a client, and then uh, the time came to close the deal to fly to some other city and a white associate who had nothing to do with the deal was sent there to meet with the client. Correct. Um, things that um, hold back career progress. Right. This bothered you. That's right. And and you know it's funny. You know my attitude was was more that it bothered me that people seem not to recognize what is going on. Uh, and so therefore the African American is blamed for whatever does not happen. Uh, in my context and some of the uh, situations that you just mentioned. It's, um, uh, you know, the white associate goes to New York. I don't. And so um, uh, ultimately it's, uh, you know, this, this, the cumulative effect of these kinds of things means that uh, fast forward a number of years and the white associate has more experience. Um, it's kind of, kind of funny to say, but in many ways that didn't bother me as much as the failure for people to acknowledge what was going on bothered me. Uh, go ahead and um, you know pay me you know you know pay me fifty cents on the dollar whatever it is, but don't try to don't try to tell me that you're doing it because I come up short, and I and I and and, and that's that's the part to be honest that uh, that has always bothered me most just the dishonesty, and you know as as we know some people are permanently dishonest if you want to call it that way. Um, and those are the people that uh, are clearly, you know, racist, are certainly extremely biased. Um, but then, but then uh, uh, you know, the biggest issue, I think, are, are those who don't know themselves. Just, this, is all kind of, this is all happening unconsciously. Unconscious bias. Unconscious bias, uh, which I, I think, um, I think is... The biggest issue, I, you know, you know, so many of these, so many of these problems. Pro- well, it's like anything. You're not going to solve a problem if you don't own up to it. Oh, you know, you know, just, 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 just pick your problem. Uh, and so, the most important thing in certain, in terms of addressing these issues is to uh, get people to understand that this bias does in fact exist. And it's and it's it's not something that um, uh, we can end overnight. It's something we're we're dealing with three hundred years of momentum. Uh, you know things have um, you know things have clearly changed. 
You know, you can argue whether they've um, uh, changed, uh, you know, really changed for the better or, 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 or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, is that uh, uh, that this that our, that that our special brand of racism that quite frankly is grounded in um, uh, white supremacy is part and parcel of this country. And you, until people are willing to openly accept that fact, um, we are not going to make substantial progress as far as these issues are concerned. Do you think that there is um, a lot of complacency out there around this issue? Um, and the reason I ask is because I, I, I think a lot of people uh, feel there's been a lot of progress. A lot of white people mm -hmm. would say, like I said at the beginning of the show, that, you know, well, we're not living in the Bull Connor era. Jackie Robinson did his thing. Martin Luther King. Uh, look how far we've come. Mm -hmm. um, but that ignores, and in some cases, I, I think deliberately turns a blind eye to some of the, the biases which you, um, you describe throughout your career, um, pretending that they don't exist. Yeah, and as I mentioned at the, at the beginning of my book, one of the reasons why I wrote it is the count of the pretending. Uh, yeah, I'm, um, I'm at the end of my career. I don't know when I'm going to stop practicing, but it's clear that I'm, I'm not 30 and I'm not 40, so just, uh, just do the math. How old are you, by the way? I'm 66. Okay. Uh, so it's, um, uh, that I maybe lose my train of thought, <laughs> um, but in terms of, um, uh, and you don't have as much to lose as someone who, who, who is 30 years old and writing this book. That, that's uh, in effect. Yes. And so if, um, uh, if, if, if people want to kind of rebel against me because I wrote this book. That's okay. Well, if one um, uh, one person asked me. He said, "Aren't you aren't you concerned about um, adverse reactions on the part of people when they read this?" I said, "I said, I said, why would I, as an African American, be concerned about white people being irritated because I write a book about race?" I said, "I, I think just simply by asking the question, you've kind of answered the question." But going back to um, about complacency, um, there is complacency. Uh, we elected a black at, president. At, 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 any, at any number of levels. Yeah, elected a black president, that's, that's evidence. And the fact that I'm a partner in a major corporate law firm, that's evidence. Um, You're successful. We're sitting here. Yeah. Look around. Yeah. And, and the so, land of opportunities. Ex exactly. Um, but, but part of that is, uh, and, a friend, and a very good friend of mine that mentioned this to me the other day, is that um, you know a lot of, of my close friends who are white uh, have kind of responded uh, by saying um, what you'd expect them to say, and what I believe them, and that is that you were never an African American to us; uh, you were just Steve, and I think I think that's true, but why they're busy just kind of saying I'm just like. The next guy, they were failing to appreciate that sewer I was talking about that I was swimming through every day. And a, a, a very good friend of mine um, you know, uh, mentioned that the, um, 
uh, you know, the other day in just in just those terms, is that you know I'm he said he said I'm sorry that I didn't recognize the context. I'm sorry that I didn't appreciate the context. I'm sorry that all those years that I knew you, I really wasn't giving sufficient appreciation for what it was that it meant to be a black man in an environment that was literally all white. And so I, but I, but I think that 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 complacency uh, is um, is is driven by kind of a tendency that I think we all have, uh, which is to screen out the stuff that we want to see. Uh, it, it, it's um, you know, the 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 world isn't like we want it to be, so we just edit. And I, I think that that just happens too much, and uh, when, when people just kind of have to kind of rip the bandaid off, if you will, and say, "Look, this is what this is what we're looking at." Um, you know, I think um, you know I'm an optimistic person, and I think that's one reason why I've managed to be successful because you know people can, um, can I, I mean I can get kicked and I can get back up, um, uh, but. I, you know, I, I guess, um, um, you know, some days I lose that optimism. Uh, and I lose that optimism when I feel that we're making no progress. And uh, you can't hold up Barack Obama, you can't hold up Steve Graham and say that, maybe you can say that you made progress, but you can't say that you're okay. Um, treat, look at our society as a cancer patient. Uh, racism is a cancer that won't go away. And sometimes enough stuff happens where we believe that the cancer is in remission. And then we open up the patient and we find that it has spread in horrible ways. Patient's not dead, at least not yet. Still hope that the patient will eventually uh, get cured. But... We're not making progress. Biotech Showcase is coming up January 8 to 10 in San Francisco's Union Square. This is a big confab. About 3,500 people are expected to attend. Listeners of this show are welcome to take a $200 discount off registration. Just type in long run, all one word, as the registration code when you're checking out. Thanks EVD Group for sponsoring the long run. And have you heard of Presage Biosciences? I wrote the first story about this company when it was getting started in 2009. Presage has a micro-injector device that enables intratumoral microdosing of experimental cancer drugs. It enables researchers to evaluate several drugs at once against a single tumor and get a feel for tumor heterogeneity. To learn more, go to presagebio.com. talk about some of how these aggressions um, took a toll. You use that term that they, they take a toll. Mm-hmm. Um, how, uh, you know, for people who, you know, do not walk around in these shoes, what's that like when, you know, you show up at a, um, a summer party for um, fellow lawyers at your firm and everybody's having a good time and somebody blurts out a racist joke in your presence? And you hear it. 
You know, it's funny because, uh, you know, I didn't uh, keep a diary to write this book. There's uh, many things that I remember, but more things I've forgotten. And uh, for years, I've run across people and they say, remember that time we were at that one reception or this or that, somebody said this and you shut this guy down. And I, I have no recollection. Uh, and, you know, you know some, some days you, um, you just have had enough and, and you counter and know in certain terms. Um, and in fact, you usually do in one, in one way or the other. But I guess the, um, uh, the, the real issue is that um, it, it just it continues to take a toll. It's kind of the black tax. It just contributes to, um, it contributes to the isolation because, uh, you know, ultimately the problem is being the only one, um, even if there are two or three. It's still, for all intents and purposes, you're, 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 the, you're the only one. Um, it's like um, one thing that I mentioned in my book because it's, it's a theme that kind of goes through the book. You know, first it happened when I was in grade school and I was in this all-white school and something happened and this white kid just said, go to hell, nigger. That I was crushed by that. And I think the main reason I was crushed by that was because I was the only one. I think if there were 20 black kids out there, we probably just would have had a fight. But as it was, here was this club of people, here was this group of people, and they look at me and they say, you do not belong. And that is the biggest toll, I think, that has just kept recurring you know, throughout, um, throughout my career. It's isolating. It's isolating. And it's scary at times. Uh, you, there, there are moments when, I mean, you fear for your personal safety. Um, an occasion that happened, uh, there's, uh, you know, you know, one incident in particular where it was, um, I, I caused a fear for my personal safety since someone was actually threatening to shoot me. Um, but for the most part, it's just, you're just, you're just, you're just on an island. And you're, there's, there's something that you have to fight through every day. Uh, you know, this, this, um, this, this feeling of, um, of, uh, of not belonging. Uh, and I think that, um, yeah, you, know, you know, so many white people, are, I think, are, are kind of misguided when they say that, well, gee, um, African-American, let's, uh, let's, let's, um, let's make him feel like... Um, uh, he's one of the guys, so let's treat him like everybody else. And you can kind of carry that theme, uh, you, you know, throughout the, and, and apply it to any number of contexts. Where the whole point of this is that because you're an African American in this country, and because of that context, and because of what you have to deal with day in and day out. If anyone treats you like everybody else, then by definition, they're they're not uh, they're not addressing the issue because you are not like everybody else. Um, those are those are difficult concepts. I think you know, I mentioned a couple of times in my book things like, you know, you know, I, I, you know, I was kind of going along with it, pretending too, you know, don't don't notice that I'm an African American so that I can be acceptable. 
which is, uh, uh, you know, just uh, just contributes to the problem. Uh, it, but but the you know the fact of the matter is, is that um, uh, you are kind of left on an island, and that is that is no fun. Uh, and in many ways, I think, uh, well, maybe not totally true, but I feel that it's true that uh, without uh, without my wife, who was my uh, oftentimes sole support, uh, I would not have I would not have made it. It um, it really helps, I think, for you to tell the anecdotes the way you do in a, in a series um, throughout your career. Um, but let's talk about biotech. You, um, you've been in this um, corner of corporate America for uh, a long time. Um, what, what kinds of things can people do um, in this business to address some of the, the unconscious biases, the implicit biases, the, uh, to, to be part of the solution? rather than just perpetuating the problem? Mm -hmm. Well, that's kind of an interesting question. I'm not sure if um, but these issues are necessarily unique to biotech. I think uh, what is unique with respect to biotech, uh, well, maybe not unique, but certainly sets it apart from many industries, and that is that uh, most of the people that you encounter, most of the people that I have encountered, uh, at least uh, on the scientific side, um, look at judge people on the merits. That's 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 my feeling. And if that wasn't the case, then I wouldn't have had a career because people would not have been hiring me. Uh, if it crosses the line and you start talking about other people that might be involved in, in the perimeter, whether they be other lawyers or um, bankers or what have you, then then maybe not so much. Maybe it's just it's it's more of an issue. Uh, but I think. The um, there there has to be as you know as I said before there has to be an awareness. Um, you know it's it's um, it's because it, let, let's face it when if a if a white person walks into if a white man walks into a, a boardroom and sees ten other white men sitting around the table, chances are that person does not see anything wrong. That's saying it's a bad person or anything else, but he just didn't see it. Mm -hmm. And until people start taking note and seeing it, uh, then um, uh, you know things uh, things aren't going to change. My uh, you know my sense is that uh, people in biotech are going to be uh, you know more receptive to addressing these kinds of issues once they become aware of them. There's so many things that are wrong. One of the, one of the things, so many things that are, they could be depressing, maybe they are, some days they are depressing. Uh, one of them is when you talk to people and you say, um, this, this organization is not diverse, uh, this group is not diverse, this board is not diverse, um, we gotta do something about it. And then the response is yes, but First and foremost, we're concerned about competence, which obviously answers the question. Um, it, answers the, it just basically says, 
Yes, but have you forgotten? We are a racist society. You, you couldn't find any women for your board or any people of color for your board? Exactly. They really had to be 10 out of 10 white males? Well, because we had to find people that were competent. So I, I, when, you, when you hear things like that, it's, um, uh, it just makes it hard. It makes it hard. Um, in the in the broader context, it's uh, like when, when people in general say that that um, our society has moved forward in so many ways, which of course it has, uh, which is not the same thing as saying that racism has been eliminated. But then you you come to like fully appreciate the extent of voter suppression, and you just you just it's just like wow. Are we, are we really still there? Is this really still, as a country, Mississippi in 1950, when your goal is to make sure that no more than 3% of the African-American population is, you know, makes it to the voting booth? I'm from Wisconsin, and I see these stories about people of color in Milwaukee standing in line for hours to, to vote. Yeah, uh, I don't stand in line for hours to vote. Right. It's easy. Right. And that's just part of it, and it's and it's you know all of these methods. But when you when you see that when you when you come to appreciate that kind of activity and that kind of thinking, uh, I guess it's the difference between seeing someone killed and thinking it's an accident, and being saddened and being able to live with that, but then finding out that it was actually premeditated murder. And that's kind of what we're dealing with right now, with, with, some of the, with some of this activity. It's like people, it's not thoughtless. It's intentional. And how can people think that way? I mean, it's a rhetorical question, and it, it really is hard to get from my mind to get, uh, to get around, because I really don't understand how so many people can think that way. You know, it's really interesting to hear you answer these questions, because on one hand, you attribute, it sounds like you attribute part of your success to coming up in biotech in an industry at a time and place that was open to promoting people on merits. Correct. That helped you. Correct. Certainly did. But at the same time, here you are 35 years later, and you often will walk into corporate boardrooms where you're the only African-American. There are no women. Um, and you hear these kind of excuses made. So... There, there really, and, and there's often a denial around it. I often, I can imagine people say, well, we, we have a diversity and inclusion program. We're working on it. Um, we recognize that that is uh, an important goal for our organization, but yet the numbers are what they are. Mm -hmm. They remain. Mm -hmm. uh, they... They do, and that's uh, again. I, you keep coming back to the inevitable, and uh, that is that the, you, you reach the conclusion that um, at a minimum, unconscious unconscious bias exists. At the outside, there's a good there's a, there's a good dash of racism in there as well. Um, but it, it's uh, there is this um, there is this denial. Um, I think. I think. Because I really, I mean, I can't, one reason why I've always been an optimist is because I know that if I go outside right now and I walk down the sidewalk and I walk three blocks and I smile at every stranger I see, 
I know that 99% of those strangers will smile back. Uh, there is an occasion when someone says, what the hell do you want? But for the most part, that's, I believe that's the world we live in. Uh, so, you, you know, people... Um, you believe in goodness. I, I believe in goodness. I, it's, um, we, I wouldn't be here if there, if there was some goodness somewhere. Um, but uh, when you have these diversity and inclusion programs, so oftentimes people think, because they don't, they don't appreciate the context and they're not standing in my shoes, they think that's all you need to do. Um, we have a diversity program. This is something that we, 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 we love. We love diversity. Uh, we, don't, we don't intentionally exclude anyone. Yeah. But then, then why are your numbers like they are? Well, because we can't find anybody. Which, which is the same thing you hear when you're trying to, trying to get uh, women in corporate boards. Um, the two things about women, and it kind of applies to minorities as well, I think, is that uh, I said, well, why don't you have any women on your board? Well... Uh, because uh, we can't find any that are qualified. Well, what do you mean? I mean, here's all these, there's a whole list of women. Well, to be qualified, you have to have served in a corporate board. You have to start somewhere. There you go. I'm done. I mean, you, 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 always, you always end up with those right-sounding responses, you know, those right-sounding, um, uh, you, know, you know, policy statements, and the right-sounding reasons for why things don't change. Um, but at the end of the day, it's sexism and racism. Who are some of the intended uh, audiences for this book? I can imagine, certainly, as I mentioned, the you know the the sixty year old white male corporate board member, um, hopefully um, having a, a bit of a wake up call, a bit like Senegal had. Uh, but I could also imagine, you know, younger uh, people of color coming mm -hmm. up in law, coming up in science, mm -hmm. um, trying to figure how to navigate this, mm -hmm. this tricky minefield. Mm -hmm. um, um, I, I, I've, uh, as you might imagine, I've gotten, gotten a lot of feedback uh, on the book. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that those that had a negative response didn't bother providing that feedback. So it's all, it's all been, as a result, it's all been positive. But uh, there are some themes, and uh, I would say that white or black uh, or other, um, the predominant theme is thanks. Uh, what I hear more often than anything else is thank you for writing the book. Uh, and I, and um, uh, you know, when that applies to the intended audience of younger from uh, the generations below me and people coming along, uh, you know, that was, that was one of the reasons why uh, I wrote the book. Uh, I said, look, um, here's, here's some things that you probably would like to say, but given the fact that this is your first year on the job, maybe you don't want to say it. So here it is. And um, uh, I, I have had... Um, uh, you know, any number of people be very, very vocal um, about about that, and it's like you know whether it's uh, you know having a feeling of support just reading the book, or whether it's God, you were just inside my head. 
Um, and, you know, I can't, I, I've always tried to get back from the standpoint of trying to mentor people who, uh, who are looking for uh, someone like me to kind of get advice from. Um, but that's just kind of one at a time. And I thought if I wrote a book like this, I could reach more people. The other um, intended audience are, um, you know, business leaders. Um, want you to understand the way it really is. So if, if, there's something, if this is something you care about, you should know this. If it's something you don't care about, then we don't need to have a conversation, you know, just go on. But if you care about it, you should know about this. Um, and then I think, I think um, uh, it's, it's something that, um, uh, you know, should be, quite, quite frankly, attractive to school teachers. Uh, because these, these are lessons that um, the sooner you learn them, the better. And uh, I think there are a number of things in the, in the book that uh, can be used to start a discussion about certain aspects of this very complex issue. Ultimately, it is very, it's constructive. Uh, it's, it's, you're, you're not a bomb thrower. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you're not, this is not written in an angry tone. I, I think it's, you know, you're very much a, a lawyer. You write with a lawyerly style. <laughs> um, and it comes across as, you know, just the facts. Like this is, not only this is, this is what happened, but then there's that next level down of this is how it made me feel. This is how I tried to work uh, the system, tried to raise awareness of the biases I was confronting. So there's, I, I, I think that's partly why it's, it's effective. It's, um, it's not just a laundry list of, of grievances, mm -hmm. um, but um, I think it's, it's just very helpful for people to be able to walk in um, someone else's shoes and imagine um, what that's been like. I mean, that's sort of like the first step raising awareness yes. before you can even begin to think about, is there a problem here and what should we do to solve it? I don't think we're, we're that far down the road yet. Um, and, no, we're not. Um, and I, you know, when I was reading this book is particularly toward the end, when you talk about that, um, that hair raising incident, that where you feared for your safety. I, I thought of a, a recent experience of my own, which I wrote about very briefly um, at, uh, after the election last fall. I don't know if you saw this, but um, uh, you know, I was, uh, my wife is African-American and our daughter uh, biracial. And um, we were driving home from Yellowstone National Park on some rural um, highways and uh, in uh, in the Northwest. And I saw a number of Confederate flags along the road, um, higher than the American flag, larger than the American flag, um, worried me a little bit. And, you know, I do know some of the history of Northern Idaho. Um, and um, we stopped for lunch at one spot uh, in one of these small towns. It was very quiet. And uh, I'm walking with my family. This very quiet residential street to the place we're going to have lunch, and a, a car pulls up to a four-way stop in this rural town. Sits there for a solid minute with uh, tinted windows, 
it just, it had rolled up real slow and it stopped there. And I could see the driver eyeballing us as we crossed the street. And like a chill went up my spine. I thought, oh my God, is this, do I need to be worried about what this guy sees with people of color in his community? And then your imagination starts to kick in. Like, what if he goes down the street and calls his friends with their pickup trucks? I mean, do I need to get my family out of here? I'm just by myself. It was, it was scary. There, I, I, well, I talked with um, some of my, my white friends about this episode, and I, I asked them, you know, is this my imagination? And uh, they said, oh, that, that sounds like somebody was trying to intimidate you. Mm-hmm. Well, it worked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was scared. Now, this is not mm-hmm. to say that um, <laughs> I, I can relate in any way mm-hmm. to, you know, this is one small moment mm-hmm. in my life mm-hmm. of, 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 that stands out. Mm-hmm. It's seared into my memory. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think it's helpful for people to be able to walk in someone else's shoes, even for just a brief moment. Yeah, and um, you know, your your story reminds me of one of the things that um, that I've forgotten because, again, you just kind of accept it as the as ether. But when my kids were small, I'm not even sure if I ever told my family this. Um, but when my kids were small. I would not, I wouldn't want to be in a national park. I would not want to be outside of a city with my family. Um, And when we stop at a picnic place, I I remember, you know, my kids are small. They're running around, they're playing, they're oblivious, they're happy, and I'm watching. Yeah, you, 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 you can't live your life worrying about being forced to kind of live that way, if you will. Um, and so you tend to forget. But yeah, there's, there's much that we did not do kind of out in the Northwest wilderness because I didn't think it was safe for a biracial family. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, I'm sure that's not news to a lot of people in the African-American community, but it may be to to people who you know are fortunate to not have to be you know burdened by those kinds of concerns right. in their in most of their day-to-day interactions right that that's true in 2016 2017 the world today yeah it's um uh i, I i've um uh you know you know one of the things that i've mentioned any, any number of times is that um uh, racism hasn't gone away; it's changed. Uh, and 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 one of the things that um, uh, I may have mentioned uh, may have mentioned to you earlier, and it's um, kind of bears repeating that uh, 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 too oftentimes, you know, the, even white people of goodwill just don't appreciate the context. Do, um, are, are there other things that you think that, you know, our, our biotech community can be doing a better job of to, to deal with some of the historic inequities and the biases 
I mean, we could, I could rattle off a whole list of, you know, health disparities. This is an industry that's about improving health, right? right? And you look right. at cancer, death, incidence rates, prevalence, mm -hmm. death rates. I mean, it's a lot worse, uh, a lot worse outcomes for African-American people, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, is there something more here to, I mean, that that's within the, the capacity of the industry to, well, to make well, an impact on? Well, um, one of the reasons why I wrote the book is because uh, I finally, uh, I mean, obviously it's something I've been working for any, any number of years, um, just kind of off and on. But then just the way our social and political climate had just become so nasty, um, I figured it was time to finish it and, and, uh, and add my voice to the conversation. Um, and I guess that's where I, that's where I come out. I mean, uh, who am I? I'm just a lawyer in Seattle. Um, but I do have a voice. Maybe it's not a big voice. Maybe it's not a voice that will change the world. Um, but it's a voice that will reach more than one individual. And um, I, th I, think that's where, um, I think that's where companies and organizations need to start. Um, uh, I don't have to right every wrong. Uh, but I understand that bias exists. This is the way it manifests itself. And so that we as a policy uh, are going to counter that. And we're going we're gonna, to uh, start trying to find not just diversity efforts, but effective diversity efforts. Uh, and you know, I, th I think that um, uh, you know, to the extent that you know, companies do that, and I think it's the right thing to do, I also think that, uh, like you know, particularly in the healthcare space, as you say, um, you know, all people are not created equal. Uh, and just from the standpoint of um, you know disease history and genetics and then that sort of thing. So, so you should have just for for that reason alone. Uh, the, the, there's you should make sure that um, it's a it's a diverse group sitting at your table. Um, but I, I, you know, and, and I, I think also that 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 companies like biotechnology companies probably have a greater opportunity to um, excite younger people and uh, create um, you know programs to kind of get younger people interested, so that um, there's less of an excuse. I think it still is an excuse, less of an excuse that um, we're not diverse because there is no pipeline and. That obviously um, involves uh, teaming up with schools and you know whatever. Uh, so it's it's kind of the it's kind of the education aspect. Um, but we can all do our part. We can all do our part. It's it's um, like when you um, when you when you look at my book and think of some of the things that happened to me. Um, what I want you to think about. Is that if it's, if it's happening to me today, Tuesday, how many millions of times is it happening today, Tuesday, around this country? How many millions of times? It's, it's millions. So now you add the week, the month, the year, the decades. What are we talking about? Uh, numbers that get well beyond your imagination. 
Uh, and the flip side of that is everyone can kind of do their part. Uh, and there's a multiplier there as well. And so can't worry about, um, you can't, you, it's, that's just true. As it's, I don't know if it's, uh, I mean, I hate to sound trite or anything, but you can't change the whole world, but you can change part of it. Well, this is a, an important point I think you made um, after Charlottesville. So right. um, I invited you I, I i wanted to know what you thought about that uh, troubling event that you know shook so many people um with those the, the white supremacy that was on display there um and i i think that forced a lot of people to confront what they had been what, what had been part of the election cycle um but was hard for so many people to really come to terms with that there was this um this sentiment that you know, we thought we had buried, mm-hmm. um, that we, we thought we had moved on. Um, but it's, uh, it's still out there and alive. And I thought, you know, I, I really appreciated your remark in that, in that guest editorial in which you said that the racism doesn't, um, doesn't anger you. It saddened you when you saw that. And that the way to carry on is to basically be good to each other in our day-to-day interactions. These are the things that we have control over. That, right. That's how we counter right. what you see there. Right. Uh, that and uh, I think a very important point is that small things matter, um, even if those are small good things or small bad things. Um, and too often times people are willing to kind of let stuff go. Um, your, 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 your white colleague says to another white colleague something that is, um, would be racially, that would be all putting to a minority if they were a part of the conversation. Well, the president says these things all the time. He yeah. calls the NFL players sons of bitches exactly. when they kneel for the anthem. Exactly. But my point is is that don't expect things to change if you don't have the courage in that conversation to tell your colleague he's out of line. And that's not then then that's that, you know, that 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 sort of sentiment is something that you don't tolerate. Yeah. So even when it's these these dust-ups like the NFL anthem protest no, I mean, these guys have the right to express their First Amendment views, just like everyone else. Um, they're not disrespecting the flag. They're not unpatriotic. They want social change. And this is the only way that they were able to get people to pay attention. Well, there's clearly, at least in my mind, there's clearly an element of race associated with this whole kneeling thing. Um, and... The um, I'm satisfied. My own point of view. I don't need to convince anybody else of it. But um, you know, all these black football players are, are um, seen as just a little bit out of line. Uh, it's, it's, it's the old uppity thing, and this is the way you work. Uh, and on my farm, this is this is what you do. Um, I'm the boss, and don't forget that. 
And so it's twisted to say, well, they're disrespecting the flag. They're disrespecting the military, which we all know has absolutely nothing to do with it. It's just like going back to voter suppression. We have, we have to, we have to get it. We have to, you know, rid the country of all this fraud. Well, that sounds good until you peel it back and realize there isn't any. So what are you really doing? We know what we're really doing. It's, it's look voter, here. It's voter suppression. Look here. Don't look there. Right. Um, these players must be disrespecting the flag, disrespecting the military. Let's not pay attention to the right. actual issue of police brutality and right. unequal education and, and all these things that right. you know, the mass incarceration. Let's not face up to any of that. Right. Yeah. Well, Steve Graham, I thank you for shining a light on um, the subtler aspects of racism in corporate America. It's an excellent book. I encourage everyone to go onto Amazon and order a copy. Thanks for being with me on the long run, Steve. Okay, thank you. Thanks for listening to The Long Run, a production of Timberman Report. Pedro Rosado of Headstepper Media was the producer and editor. Music comes from D.A. Wallach. Thanks to EVD Group and Presage Biosciences for sponsoring The Long Run. On the next episode, listen to my conversation with Daniel Levine and Dan Mayer. They are the co-authors of A Rare Breed, how people and perseverance built Biomarin into one of the world's most innovative companies. I reviewed this book in October on Temperament Report, and I believe it provides a revealing perspective on the rare disease drug development business and some of the subtler aspects of what makes biotech companies succeed or fail. It's well-written and unvarnished. I recommend listening to the show and picking up the book on Amazon. Don't miss this upcoming episode of The Long Run.